0: Welcome teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum which meant a lot
1: of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today.
0: Hi everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy, Literacy Podcast. We are thrilled to have a parent a teacher, a Canadian on our podcast today. Yeah. <laughs> our, our first Canadian guest yet. Yeah, reaching reaching into Canada here. <laughs> Super cool. Uh, so, so today I actually uh, talk with Kate Wynn because Melissa was sick. Um, and so I, I got a chance to catch up with Kate Wynn. She's a teacher, a freelance writer and TV guest, a wife. She's a mom to two girls. And she joins us on the podcast to share how after 20 years of teaching, she learned about the science of reading.
1: Yeah. And like we talk about this a lot, like how hard it is for teachers to be able to say what I did for 20 years didn't work. And like, I mean, she says it in the, the title of her article, right? The way I've been teaching was wrong. I've been teaching reading wrong. And that's that's huge for somebody mm-hmm. to not only admit it, say it, but to write an article about it and put it out there for other people to read. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you. Melissa, what caught my attention about the article in particular is that you know, it wasn't geared toward teachers as the audience. It's an article from Today's Parent and it was geared for parents. So to say Mm -hmm. I'm a kindergarten teacher or I'm a teacher and the way I've been teaching reading is wrong and not just put yourself in front of other teachers or other educators, but to put yourself in front of parents and say that is just, I just thought was just incredibly vulnerable and and like, I just wanted to talk with her and, and learn more.
1: Well, I would say, I mean, for me as a teacher, like the parents would be the hardest people to admit to that I was mm-hmm. doing it wrong, right? Because you mm-hmm. potentially not given their child what they need. Um, and that like <laughs> uh, i can't I can't even imagine admitting that to to parents, right? that's that's so hard to really say.
0: So. I know, I know. She Puzzle. does it. She does it very gracefully. She shares a lot of information that she's learned along the way. Yeah. Um, she gives incredible recommendations uh, for books and for resources. So I can't wait for everyone to listen to this podcast. And I'm sorry that um, that you weren't there to experience it. We missed you very much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll have to talk to Kate again, so I so I can have that conversation with her too.
0: But. Yeah, she's pretty cool. <laughs> she uh she has a a TV segment. She if you we we link everything in the show notes but um, she has she her own has podcast too, right? Her own podcast. She's, she's a busy um, lady. <laughs> yeah, she's a TV guest. Um, and on her podcast, of course, as I listened to prepare for the show, I told her this in the podcast. But Melissa, you'll appreciate this. You know, I'm a big <laughs> Bachelor fan. And so she interviewed one of the Bachelor contestants from Canada, a fellow Canadian of hers, Jillian Harris. So, of course, that was the episode. <laughs> that was the first one on my list. <laughs>
1: I don't even know who that is.
0: I know. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's probably best that you just live in your non-bachelor world. <laughs> that is too um, funny. Yeah, but I know that everybody's going to really appreciate listening to Kate and just hear from her. So, we can't wait to to get into this podcast. All right. Let's hear from Kate. Hi, Kate. How are you? It's so good that you're here with me today. I appreciate you taking the time to podcast and to tell your story. So welcome
2: to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here too.
0: Yeah. So your uh, your article caught my attention in today's parent. And I am just curious if before we get into talking about that, if you might be able to tell us a little bit about yourself. And I always say us. Melissa is sick today. So I'm going to say us and refer to both me and Melissa. <laughs> Yes. No, um no. but it is just just me today. I'm solo. So um tell tell us a little bit about tell your tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and um you know your teaching background and what brought you to to this point sure. in your life.
2: Yeah. So I mean I'm a wife and a mom. I've got two teen girls, Olivia's fifteen and Eva's thirteen. And in addition to teaching, I do a lot of media stuff on the side. So as you mentioned, I write articles, I do TV segments. I'm the um, education contributor for the morning show here in Canada. And uh, and things like that. And I have been teaching for 20 years. I currently teach in a little country school uh, just outside of Lindsay, Ontario, here in Canada. And my teaching experience, I started doing um, French as a second language for the first few years of my career. And then I was in gifted education, working with uh, students who needed enrichment and, and their teachers and helping with all of that. And then I moved into teaching English homeroom classes. So I've done four, five, three, four, two, three, lots of years in grade three, about eight years with a, a mix, either two, three, or three, four. And then okay. moved to kindergarten. And this is my sixth year now in kindergarten. And so that's kindergarten is sort of what inspired this whole article and our conversation today. Yeah. Well,
0: before we get into that, I mean, I'm just... Wondering how do you do it all? How do you? (laughs) You you also have a podcast that you didn't mention. I know I don't think you're actively adding episodes to it, but I feel like you do a whole lot of different things that are just amazing.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, the podcast, the website, both called This Mom Loves. Thank you for helping me. I give that a little plug there. But you know what? Honestly, I I, I'll give myself credit for being you know organized and driven and things like that. But I have a lot of help. Like I mean, I've got a supportive partner. I've got healthy parents who help with things and always have like with my kids. We've had great babysitters and day care and my kids have good teachers and my daughters, you know, are incredible and independent. And so there's so many, so many factors working to support me, to allow me to do all of these things that I love to do. So, I mean, it's partly me, but I partly have to, I have to give credit where it's due to all of the supporters I have to.
0: Yeah. Well, that's really cool. And I have to say after we, after your article caught my attention and uh, you know, I shared it with Melissa and she was like, oh my gosh, she's like, you know, a kindred spirit. Um, I went and listened to your podcast just so I could get a feel for who you were before we podcasted. And uh, I don't, I have, I don't think I've disclosed this on on my podcast, but um, I'm a huge Bachelor fan. So the podcast episode I chose, of course, was your episode with Julian Harris. Yes, <laughs> and um, it was really fun to listen to. So it was, it's. I think it was so interesting to get to know people as you know, people, not just educators. So, I really appreciated getting to to know you as a person through your podcast. So, that was great. It's great. Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about, you know, your kindergarten teacher now. Um, <laughs> in your article, you summarized your journey, but you just do a brief summary for us um, and, a little bit about like how long you've been teaching. Cause I feel like that's all, that was a huge one for yes. me. I was like, oh gosh, it took yeah. so long.
2: <laughs> so yeah, 20 years all together. And so we, you know, doing the French stuff, doing the gifted stuff, literacy, you know, in terms of teaching kids to read, didn't really come into play. I mean, in French it did, but not quite the same way. And so even when I was teaching the four, five, the three, four, the two, three, I felt like what I was doing was kind of working. I wasn't seeing I wasn't so worried about thinking I'm doing something wrong or this isn't, isn't going right. Um, But then when I moved to kindergarten here in Ontario, it was very much been a swing towards play-based inquiry, child directed, a lot of that stuff and our Mm -hmm. curriculum document, it's called a program document here, but it's, it reflects that. And so we're encouraged in the in the document to basically, you know, just teach phonics more as it comes up or that sort of thing. And there's actually um little like educator quotes throughout the document. And one of them is, I thought I needed a program to teach reading. Well yeah, yeah sure you actually do, but you really you know. Do. What, so when I moved to <laughs> kindergarten, it was like, I was trying to be the, the perfect kindergarten teacher. So getting into all of those other things, and I mean, yes, play and yes, nature and yes, inquiry and all that stuff, but that can exist along with structured phonics, a structured literacy program, what have you. So I had to kind of feel that part out. And I just realized as time went on, the kids weren't reading the way I thought they should be. And, you know, I think it's important too, to note, even as a parent, my own girls, um, like Nancy Young's ladder of reading, I think is really incredible, that resource, because it kind of breaks down even percentage wise kids, um, you know, learning to read. So, I mean, 5% of kids might learn to read and it almost seems effortless and then the next yeah. level level down in the le- the ladder you've got like 35% learning to read is relatively easy with broad instruction. So my girls yeah. were somewhere in there. So I know their teacher did do some phonics, but at the end of kindergarten they were reading a couple of grades ahead. So I mean I know that to them seemed effortless. So when you don't have to see at home that same struggle, I'm not sure you quite get it the same as a teacher because you just don't realize how explicit it needs to be for some kids. So I That's didn't right. know that. And then I was also using the resources I was given. So we've got a program here called Jolly Phonics, which for phonics program is fine. But Sounds the very idea, cheery. Yeah. <laughs> yes, But And you know, it's fine. But the idea has always been do one letter sound a week. And then you kind mm. of go from there. And when I came into kindergarten, actually, so we have a prep teacher who comes in for 40 minutes a day to cover our prep. And so she and I, and I've had a few different ones over the six years, but we kind of worked out that they would do that sort of weekly Jolly Phonics lesson. So it wasn't even something I was doing myself, which made it really hard to connect to other things going on in the classroom and keep that consistency right. going. Right. And then even in terms of reading resources, it was all about the predictable leveled books. And I was right. totally sending them home and telling parents, oh, just have your child use eagle eye and look at the picture and, you know, all this stuff and thinking I'm helping. And then they're pointing and, you know, they've memorized it or they look at the picture. It looks like they're reading, right? It looks like they're reading. They can say hippopotamus if they're looking at the picture, like it's great. And so, okay, fine. But then you'd go to actually assess some skills. Like they're not where I think they should be at the end of kindergarten. So it was June, 2020 when the first little uh, bit of COVID had hit and summer holidays were starting. And I thought, I want to do some research on this. Like I know what resources I'm being given. And I kind of know, and I mean, our school just follows the board and the board follows the ministry and the ministry, you know, like it's a very broad thing. So I'm not blaming anyone in, you know, anyone specific, sure. but we just didn't have what we needed in my class. So I thought I need to do some research. And so I dug into some things. so, I mean, I came across, of course, Emily Hanford's reports. And then I started kind of a book list because I'm a, very much a reader. So read a ton of books and I made pages and pages and pages, and pages of notes. So things that I wanted to apply in my own class. And then just things maybe, you know, because I'm a writer, like, will this be a blog post? Will this be an article? Maybe I'll do a presentation on this someday, trying yeah. to put it all together to figure out how I could use all of this information. So- yeah. I kind of gathered all this information. And then last fall, I put a little bit of it into practice when I came back to school. But in November, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So I had gotten some things on track, but then I was off for five months dealing with that. So um, I have a great kindergarten partner, um, or last year I did, I still do this year, a new partner, but (laughs) last year um, I had a great partner that kind of kept the consistency going. And then the LTO teacher who came in, he was excellent as well. And I kind of told him where we were headed with literacy, but I didn't get a chance to really do it all myself the way I wanted to. So we got some of that started, but then being home for five months also gave me the opportunity to do more reading and more writing. And then what actually happened? I bet that notebook is just exploding. (laughs) Totally, totally. It's Google Docs. And so it's just section after section all over the place. But um, what ended up happening was I was sharing little tidbits and Instagram stories. And an editor that I had worked with many times at Today's Parent follows me and she had seen some things and said, oh, maybe uh, this could be something for us. And I kind of said, uh, maybe not right now, because I mean, I was still recovering, but also it's a lot easier to just write something for yourself than to actually, you know, be contracted to write something for a magazine where they have input and you kind of have to be edited and, and do things the way they want to. So that's a whole process right. in and of itself. So I wasn't sure I was ready for that. But then um, eventually she mentioned something again. I said, yeah, let's let's go for it. And so uh, the idea was kind of there and we started putting together. And I mean, obviously this is for parents in today's parent magazine, but um, right. also a lot of teachers are parents, parents are teachers, and teachers ended up seeing it as well. So uh, yeah, yeah, I was able to kind of share what I had learned and then uh, kind of where I've been heading so far.
0: I think that's the why it's especially impactful is because it came from a teacher, but it was geared for parents. And I think when the pandemic hit, so many parents caught a window into instruction in the classroom that had never been there before. And then they could see where the, maybe where some of the breakdowns were happening. And I don't know that, you know, parents necessarily have a name for it or could pinpoint it to the, you know, to how an educator could, but they could have a feeling. They, I'm just, you know, many of them were thinking something's not right here. I'm just not sure what it is. And I felt Mm -hmm. like your article was really helpful for parents to read and think, oh, this is, this is what my child might be missing. Mm
2: -hmm. And,
0: you know i'm curious about the feedback that you've gotten and and you know i'm assuming lots of positive responses to the article
2: yeah absolutely so it was great because I ended up working not with the first editor who commissioned the piece, but with another editor who wanted uh, to kind of get in on it because she was a parent who had had two children struggle to learn to read two or three children. And so in the package in the magazine, I've got my personal piece. She's got a personal piece as a parent. And then we've got all sorts of little sidebars with tips for parents and things like that. So it was interesting to have all of that kind of put together. And then we got feedback, certainly like, I mean, social media is so amazing, right? So Twitter seemed to be where, I mean, in terms of my writing, it went, viral. It's not viral in terms of what, you know, <laughs> what uh, what celebrities would think is viral. But I mean, for me, it was kind of a viral piece. I got feedback. I mean, across Canada, across the US, the UK, Australia, tons, lots of parents thanking me because they'd been through things with their child or didn't know what was going on currently with their child. A lot of teachers sure. saying, yeah, me too. Um, a lot of great feedback. I think there was only one negative one. I'm in one science of reading Facebook group and someone else, I think the administrator had shared it. And some guy had, you know, commented on it and maybe not even realizing that the teacher he's talking about is a member of the Facebook group seeing his comments. Right. It's one of those things like you think you're just talking about Say somebody's something. back so it's yeah. safe. Um, basically, just like how could she not have known this? And she says she's taught 20 years and that's ridiculous. And But I mean, I'm a keener. Like I no matter what grade I'm in, I'm always like trying to learn and and find out new things and innovating and whatever. I did not know. I, I didn't go digging, but you can't expect teachers to go digging on every subject for everything that they teach. Like, it's just, I had never come across some of the things that I learned and I'm so glad that I did, but legitimately, like, I'm not, I'm not lying. I I did not know about structured literacy until I started doing this deep dive. I did not know about the science of reading. So yeah, very helpful to me. And I mean, that was just the one negative comment, but great, great feedback for sure. And I was glad I did it. I was afraid I might have some teachers kind of thinking I threw them under the bus or, I always try to make the sure, yeah. Right? And I mean, I said right in my article: if your child's teacher doesn't seem to be doing this, please be gentle with them and don't take to social media. And you know, just let them know your concerns. And and I also didn't yeah. want even like my administrators, like people in the school board. The principal that I was working with at the time ended up becoming my superintendent, who now oversees reading. And oh so, my gosh Which is really <laughs> that, is that a is that a gift? Yeah, yeah. And she's been incredibly supportive. So I think everybody's open to learning. And so it certainly wasn't a case of me trying to blame anybody. I mean, we could start throwing around blame at higher levels if we wanted to, but that's not what this is about. So it's just, you know, here's the truth of my situation. And I tried to be vulnerable too. It's not like I'm pointing fingers at other people. It's like, oh my gosh, I was doing wrong. Like I was telling them to look at the picture. I was telling parents, train your kids to look at the picture. What was I doing? But, right. uh, but I have learned and definitely have, have changed the way things are going in our kindergarten class now.
0: Yeah. That's the important part.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I, the, the One of the sentences to align with what you just mentioned that struck me from your article, um, it says, when I fell down the science of reading rabbit hole, first online, then from books and mm-hmm. professional development sessions, as I was drawn in further, I was shocked and mortified to find that a bunch of the things I was doing in my classroom are called out by researchers. There's no-nos. And mm-hmm. you know, if, if I felt the same way when I learned about it too. I was yeah. completely appalled and embarrassed and like, I've done wrong by children and it's a lot to, to take in. And, um, you know, I think the only thing we can do is, is move forward from there. So Mm -hmm. what did you do next? Like you knew something was missing. You went down your rabbit hole. What are you doing differently now to address the science of reading?
2: So some bits and pieces implemented last year, but starting this year in September and something I should mention too, because I'm not sure it's the same for everyone. Our kindergarten program is a two-year program. So it's what we used to call a junior kindergarten, senior kindergarten, but now we call it year one and two and they're mixed. So we have kids coming in. The year one kids can be turning four anytime by new year's and the year two kids are turning five anytime before new year's. So we have some three-year-olds. Okay in the fall oh, in our program. Oh my gosh. So it's such a mix. So okay. you kind of have to think about that in terms of your audience. So, I mean, I have a kindergarten, but I also have what you might think of as pre-K or preschoolers, right? In the Correct. same class all mixed together. So that is really interesting. I didn't know that. Thank you yes, for sharing that. Yeah. And that's how it is here in Ontario. So one thing I did for sure, the phonological awareness piece. So the principal last year, let me buy the Hegarty program. Started using it a few minutes every day. I knew about phonological awareness and I was doing a lot of things like, you know, rhyming and syllables and, and that kind of stuff, but not as much, not as explicitly, not as thoroughly. And and I really love Haggerty, And I don't think everybody has to go buy things all the time. I understand that, but no. that's definitely what I'm using and what's working for me just for a few yeah. minutes every day. So definitely doing that. The idea of going from sounds to letters. So I know even with the phonological and phonemic awareness stuff that we're hearing about now, I'm hearing a lot of people saying, oh, but you you need to include letters. You shouldn't be doing it without letters. And I don't think that means you can't do Hegarty a few minutes a day. I think it means you don't have to take months or a year to teach phonological awareness. And then we're going to introduce letters. It's kind of like it can all be integrated. So I'm doing phonological awareness, but every day I'm also doing some of the explicit and systematic phonics. So Actually, in a Science of Reading Facebook group that I belong to, a teacher had so generously shared Google Slides. She had created a slideshow for each letter sound combo and she had used them for virtual learning, but I thought they were amazing. And so I'm using those. And basically you introduce the sound first. And so the kids are making the sound. I have um, some sound wall resources as well. So we're talking about, you know, what your mouth looks like doing all of that. And then talking about, okay, what's the letter that represents that sound? And then working with the letter. And so we just keep building. So some people say you can go as much as one a day, but with the mix of kids I've got, like when you've got a few three-year-olds in the mix, right? I'm doing three a week. And then I'm doing three a week. And then after that cycle, I'm taking a week to review and consolidate, which seems to be working really well so far. So those are uh, really big things. Um, decodable books. And the other thing is not to rush into books because we just want the kids to read. Right. And so that's why I think those leveled readers were so popular because it's like, I see a purple balloon. I see an orange balloon. They're not reading all the words, but it's like, Oh, I'm so proud of my child. And I did believe things like, Oh, it makes them feel more confident. It makes them love reading. I thought maybe it did because they're pretending to read, but they know they're not reading the words. (sighs) So yeah. now we've moved more to working with decodable, like with words, for example, like CBC words and things like that. So we're doing a lot of like, hat and pin and sit and all of those sorts of things with the letters and sounds that we've learned. And then yeah. just little decodable books that use the letters and sounds that we have already learned. So they have the skills and they can do that. And I'm printing out little sheets, um, little books on paper, like taking the pages and shrinking them and whatever, sending them home so that the parents can do that as well. And also educating the parents, talking to them yeah. about, you know, make sure they keep their eyes on the word. And even if there are some cute pictures to go along, don't tell them to look at the picture to guess. You want them to keep their eyes in the word that sort of thing and then Mm -hmm. connecting the reading and writing as well I was not doing a very good job of that we did writing in my class of course we did but not as much in terms of sounding out words with the phonics that we're learning and we're doing Uh a lot more of that now so every child has a whiteboard and a marker and so for a few minutes every day after lunch we do our Hegarty and then they get the whiteboards and markers and sometimes it's um you know, me dictating a word and they're trying to write it. I was going to say, is it a dictation? Yeah. Yes. So sometimes it's printing practice, you know? So yesterday yeah. we did M and watched the video, how to print the letter M. And so they're printing it and they're doing it over and over. And then I'm going around saying, you got it, you got it. Okay, let me see that again and, and whatever. So they're getting that, the printing practice part yeah. of it. But then it's also like, okay, my word is at. Can you write at how many sounds do you hear? At, yeah, there's two sounds. Okay. And, and sometimes I'll just tell them, and there are two letters because we haven't yeah. gotten <laughs> digraphs or anything yet. Right. So I'm just kind of sure. giving them the clue. Okay. These two sounds are represented by two letters. And so then a lot of them can do, and it's blowing me away. Like I was definitely moving too slowly. I was definitely not being explicit enough. I was not using the best resources. Systematic. Yeah. Yeah. And even when it comes to sound wall, I do want to throw out there too some things are trendy. And so then some people are all for trends. And then some people are trying to buck the trends and know that's a trend. That's not science reading or whatever. And I feel like something like a sound wall, a lot of the pieces of a sound wall are absolutely supported by research and supported by what we should be doing. There's not research saying if you use a sound wall, your kids will X, Y, Z, yeah. but we just know that it, it helps. But what I did with the sound wall, I thought I've seen so many beautiful full boards decorated. That was going to be way too much for a mixed yep. kindergarten program. So we started with an absolutely blank wall and one sound at a time we're building it. And I haven't done, you know, vowel valley, or, you know, anything pretty like that right now. It's yeah. just literally a row of the sounds that we've learned. And so we sing our alphabet and talk about how that's the letter names. And then we go to the sound wall and practice the sounds that the letters represent. So.
0: Yeah. Just I want to thank you too for, now. Oh, sorry. For, no, for no. mentioning that about sound walls, because that is so important to say, you know, this is this is not something that research has touted, but it's also feels trendy, but mm-hmm. it's not going to hurt if we use it to support systematic instruction. I think where there might be like a place where we could chart off course would be if we're using the sound wall as the instruction. So mm-hmm. I loved how you described that, that the sound wall is not the instruction. <laughs> the yeah. sound wall is supportive of the explicit systematic instruction that you're doing with that really integrated piece mm-hmm. um, or integrated approach, I should say. And uh, is a sound wall is supportive of that learning. So I think yeah, I just, I want to hit that point home. I really love that. Thank you for for talking about
2: that. Yeah. And something else I should mention too is sight words. That has changed because before I was just looking at high frequency words, didn't matter how they were <laughs> pronounced or how they were sounded out. I was looking at high frequency and I'm going to be really honest. I was also looking at the words that were in. So we have a PM benchmark finder. And that's how we assess the kids is that program. So I was looking and in the level one, it's the little blank is on the table. So I wanted them to know little, and I wanted to know the, and I wanted to know is and on, because then they were going to be able to read the first book. Right. And so sometimes I was targeting those skills because I thought, well, that's what's going to make them successful in the way that we're judging them to be successful. So I scrapped yeah. all that. So I have moved to the idea of heart words. And again, that might be a trendy thing to call them heart words, but it's more <laughs> the idea of learning words by heart. But I'm not using like in or it as heart words because they know how to sound those out now. Like they know the short right. I and they know the T and they know the N. Those aren't heart words. But I taught is today because there's our lunch going. Um Because <laughs> the S does not say s. In is, it more sounds like the Z or the Z as you may call it. Um, So that's when we, yes, we can sound at the I, but we can't sound at the other part or in the, That E does not say what we expect it to say. So that's a heart word. So very slowly. And I'm only introducing them, uh, you know, kind of one at a time, just because some books, if you want to get any sort of quality at all, you got to start throwing a few of those in there because, you know, you can't have like Pat sits, you know, Pat taps, (laughs) that like they're doing that and they're successful and it's wonderful. But, you know, to kind of move on with a little bit of plot to to a story, you need a few of those uh, sight words too. So I'm calling them heart words and it's only the high-frequency words that they can't sound out using the phonics that they know.
0: That's really helpful. And thank you, again, for defining that so clearly and giving that example. Um, and, you know, I think about the way that my daughter was taught, which was flashcards, and you memorize the word. And that this is such an evolution from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a decade ago. And so I'm really excited to hear, you know, where where we're going in, in this field. Um, so I'm imagining that your students are just exploding with progress. Um, have you noticed any differences
2: in student growth or outcomes? I absolutely have and A lot of it's anecdotal, so I'm not going to say that this is, you know, sure. <laughs> This is research that anybody can hang their hat off, but I'm just saying in terms of my own experiences in here in the last few years, certainly their, I mean, their excitement about reading and even the idea of what's oh, a secret code and you're going to learn that the letters represent sounds and, you know, that sort of thing. There's a bit of an excitement level um, and just the independence level. So I assessed them a couple of weeks ago on the first six letters and sounds that we had gone through and every single year too could tell me the letter names and all of the sounds. Which was amazing, right? Like just for what we had started with and even some of the year ones as well, like most of the year ones, not all, but most of the year ones could too. So it's just so amazing. Um, Oh, another resource I should mention that I am also using, it was teachers pay, teachers buy, but one of those um, embedded mnemonics sets. So that is something that there is research to show that kids can help remember the sound better When there's a picture embedded right in the letter, so it's not like there's an A and then below it there's a picture of an apple. It's like the A has like a shape of an like an apple kind of embedded right on it, or the octopus has an O. It's made of an O. Kind of hard to explain uh, in words. No, I love this. is
0: so interesting. Yeah, do you have? Can you can you point me in the direction of research for that?
2: Yes, absolutely. I can. I send it to you later.
0: Please, I will link it. Because
2: I don't have it right now. But yeah, so something I came across is you don't necessarily want there to be a separate picture of something with your letter cards, but when it's embedded, it might help. So I use that for scaffolding. So I have a set of those and I just have a set of letter cards with absolutely no pictures at all. So the ones that still need the other, we kind of review and that's their little hint. That's their clue. Like the M looks like it's a monster because it's got little horns and dots all over it and whatever. So when they see the M, they're thinking, I don't remember what that is. And then, oh, Oh, mm, yes, that's what it is. And so again, you're building, you don't want the kids to be using that forever. But in year one of a kindergarten program, that can be a way to just help prompt them until they've got it, got it in their brains. So that's another thing that we're using. So we review those all the time. And I do honestly find the kids getting better and better. And some of them don't need those anymore. And now we just go to the actual letter cards without any cues or pictures on them. And then they can tell you letter names. They can tell you the sounds. And then just to walk around, like one day I dictated a word. I think maybe it was hat. No, it was nap. It was nap. And I just walked around and I just saw all of these kids going in and out. Uh, And they're looking around. uh, Oh, yeah. And then you see them print the A, and like, I wanted to cry. I just thought, oh my gosh, <laughs> this this is what should be happening here, right? Like it's, it's not it, like guess they're unlocking the code or look somewhere else. Yeah, it's like they're actually doing it. Um, so yeah, I can definitely say from my own anecdotal experience already, like, and I mean, as we record this, it's the beginning of November, they're they're moving along in ways I haven't seen a class do before. So I feel that like is so we're headed cool. in the right direction. And uh yeah, I feel like a much, much better literacy teacher.
0: I love this. Ah, uh, and you, it's almost like you could like see the synapses in their brain just firing away. Like yeah. ah, okay, we're we're solidifying the ah. <laughs> yeah, for I sure. I love it. So you've you know you've had a lot of time to to read and to learn. Are there any mm-hmm. books that are on your uh, recommend list for any teachers or educators listening?
2: Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, there are a lot of the ones that are a little heavier, like the brain research, cognitive psychology, that kind of thing. So, I mean, the Seidenberg book, um, DeHane, Wolf, those ones for sure. A little more practical for classroom use. I really love No Better, Do Better by uh, yes. Levin and Liven. Yep. Um yeah, like a lot of practical things. And then another favorite of mine is called Reading for Life and it's by Lynn Stone and she's based in Australia. But again, kind of one of those books where a parent could even read it if they wanted to, um, but also practical for teachers. And it kind of breaks down some of the myths and some of the bill of goods we've been sold in terms of other programs and other philosophies and that sort of thing. So it's it's almost a little bit funny in parts too, just the way she breaks all of that down. But those ones I found um, really good. And then the Wiley Blevins book, a fresh look at phonics. That's okay. another one that, um, that's been helpful, uh, too, just in terms of bringing the explicit systematic phonics piece back into the classroom. I found that one helpful as well. And then Louisa Mote's speech to print another one. And I'm sure you've talked about uh, all of these, if not, uh, most, most, if not all on the show before, yeah. but those are, uh, those are a lot of my favorites.
0: Yeah. These are very popular names that we mention a lot. And, yeah. um, Melissa and I are like. We need to do a book club for all of for all of our educator friends out there across the world, and and either read or reread some of these because they're so impactful and so important. And I feel like mm-hmm. you could read some of these, you know, three and four times, and with a, a group of people, and deconstruct them and have a totally different, you know, uh, takeaways and and sense of meaning than you did the first time you read it on your own. Oh, so,
2: absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we always ask our uh, guests for a piece of advice. So I feel like your advice is, is going to be so good, um, <laughs> especially because you're such a learner. So would you mind sharing a piece of advice for those listening?
2: Uh, sure I can. So one big tip I would give is just terms of, you know, how much you need to learn before you start putting it into practice. Because sometimes we feel like, okay, I'm going to do all the research. And some people are just more like that. They wanted like my husband trying to buy a new vehicle. I'm just kind of like, you (laughs) know, I want this, 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 it does not have it all good. Whereas my husband has taken more than a year to research buying his new vehicle because he's just so (sighs) thorough and into everything. He doesn't want to, you know, he wants to just get it right. Um, Whereas I'm a little more, let's move on. So you've got to be careful with that because you can soak up all the research. And so I think of it like being a sponge. You can soak it all up. But eventually, a sponge, you got to squeeze it out if you want to try to use it again. <laughs> so you can take it all in, but you have to put something into practice. And so for me, part of it was squeezing out that sponge by doing my writing. And that's what I do a lot. I mean, even with my breast cancer story, I did a whole series of posts about that. Like I write to, you know, as catharsis for myself, but I write because I hope that it's sharing and helping other people too. So some of it was that, but some of it is you just have to get back in your classroom and try it. So when I came back from medical leave in April, Hegarty had arrived. And so I started that in the spring, even though I still wasn't doing the phonics piece. My integrated literacy teacher was doing that during my prep time. So it wasn't like, I know it all now. And I'm just going to go 100% and do this because I think if you wait until the situation is completely perfect, you'll never start. So I wouldn't rush. Like I wouldn't just see one idea and latch onto it and run with it the next day. I mean, absolutely do your research, ask around, make sure your sources are legit, that sort of thing. But once you've got some ideas and you think, okay, I'm on the right track here, just start implementing, start doing something. And you don't have to have the Samuel and the Phonological Awareness Program and this and that. And everybody doesn't have to have a whiteboard and a marker like I do before you start. Just right. try to start doing something and, and go from there and just build. And I know already this year I'm thinking, okay, well, next year when I start, I think maybe I would do this instead or whatever like you and that's what teachers do we're learners right so we just keep on going but I feel like find that balance between I'm going to just jump in and try a trend and I'm going to research for five years before I feel like I have it perfect and I can start there's that balance in the middle right where you kind of learn you fill the sponge and then you squeeze it out and do something with it so that then you can take in more again Yes.
0: Ah, what what good advice. I knew it would be learner-centric. So (laughs) thank you so much, Kate. It has been such an honor talking with you. I feel like um I wish that I could see your TV segments. I'm gonna have to YouTube you a little bit here. (laughs) Um, but thank you, thank you, thank you. This was so helpful. I will link um the ladder of reading, I'll link your article, I'll link your social media info, I'll link your podcast, everything in the show notes so that everybody can see it and read it and find you and you know, we can, we can just continue to be inspired by your work. So thank you for taking time to talk with us today. I know it's your planning,
2: planning time, right? As you're yeah. in school. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was a pleasure, Lori. Thank you so much. I was thrilled when you invited me to be on, and this was a fantastic conversation. So thank you again. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Literacy lovers. Be sure to visit our website to subscribe to our newsletter and podcast. It's literacypodcast.com.
1: Yep. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Most of them are at Literacy Podcast.
0: Yes. And please, please, please reach out to us. Melissa, what's our email address?
1: melissa and Lori at literacypodcast.com is our email address and we love getting emails from you all and
0: <laughs> Lori we and really i really read them yeah and we, we really we respond fun. we just love we love when you all reach out and we,
1: we get to have conversations with you so please please email yep. us
0: let us know what you're thinking what you're thinking about literacy what you're thinking about
1: ideas for us to podcast about
0: yes ideas for <laughs> podcasting anything we we love to hear from you what you liked what you want yeah. We're here for you.
1: Mostly, you all are asking questions, which is great. Yes. <laughs> we don't mind that either. Yes. <laughs> We're so glad you're here to learn with us. Thank you, everybody.